Hello and welcome to Cabana Chats, a podcast about writing and community, brought to you by The Resort, where our motto is, find your happy place and create. I'm your host and founder of The Resort, Catherine Lasoda. The Resort is an international community of writers based in Queens, New York City. We support writers of all genres and experience levels. If you are a writer who is looking for classes, online meetups, accountability support, and more, with wonderful colleagues who love to share resources and champion one another, I'd love for you to join us online. You can find out more about all that The Resort has to offer by visiting theresortlic.com. In this episode of Cabana Chats, I am thrilled to be in conversation with writer and editor Matt Ortile. I'm trying to find this kind of meeting in the middle with myself about how I can exercise my brain in the way that feels comfortable and natural and right to me. This kind of analytical work and this really deep appreciation of cultural texts. But at the same time, knowing that doing that doesn't mean I have to like, oh, I have to write about this for Gawker, or you have to write my catapult column around this. Matt Ortile is the author of the essay collection, The Groom Will Keep His Name. He's also the executive editor of Catapult Magazine and writes regularly for Condé Nast Traveler. Previously, he was the founding editor of BuzzFeed Philippines. He's a McDowell Fellow and has written for Vogue, Self, Out, Into, and BuzzFeed News, among others. He's a graduate of Vassar College and lives in Brooklyn, New York. If you are not yet in the Cabana Club membership program for writers here at the resort, do get yourself in there pronto. We have fun and helpful exclusive events and classes for members all the time. And on May 5th, we're going to have a live online AMA with Matt just for our club members. If you're listening to this episode long after its initial air date, no worries. We record all of our club events, including our AMAs, so that club members can check them out in the club archive anytime at their leisure. In this awesome conversation, Matt and I talk about cooking, video games, and the pressure to monetize anything you are good at. We also talk about how Matt's knowledge of the publishing process via his work as an editor is both a privilege and a challenge in his own writing process. There are a lot of great pieces of wisdom shared here, so let's dive on in. I'm excited to be here today with Matt Ortile. Matt, thank you so much for being here on Cabana Chats. Welcome. I want to say thanks for being here and also ask you as we get started. Could you please introduce yourself to our audience outside of your life as a writer? Just who is Matt Ortile in the world? Thanks. Well, thank you for having me, Catherine. Um, So I'm Matt Ortile. I am a home cook, let's say that. I finally sprung for maybe about, I think right around the start of the pandemic is when I finally paid for the Times cooking subscription. So I've been just Every, at least every other week, I try to make something new out of that, you know, just archive of recipes. So that's how I'm learning and developing my skills in the kitchen. 
and watching a lot of YouTube videos about knife skills or how to serve cheese or, you know, the difference between like a $50 wine and a $15 bottle of wine. So kind of my friends call me chef you. It's this really long inside joke where they're like, oh my God, you're like a handsome rat, even when you're like unkempt. And then that evolved into like Rathieu and then the French Rathieu. And then they were like, oh, you're a chef now? Chef you. It's like, it's very silly. It's very cute. Like one of my I friends. Appreciate. Fr- yeah. <laughs> like th- they codified it. They got me an apron one Christmas that said chef you and like live, laugh, love font. It's very, it's very sweet. So I, I that's, it's nice to have kind of those things in my life that remind me that I'm more than just like a content machine. Um, Yes. Trying to be very, I'm trying to be much more protective about the, I'm trying to be more protective about the things in my life that I do purely for hobbies or purely for pleasure, trying not to capitalize off of them. But it's hard because it is kind of this muscle, for better or for worse, that I've trained to look at everything that I experience in my life as a possible source of meaning making. <laughs> um, yeah. But else, you know, that's one way to think of me as a person. I, I like to cook and I like to play video games a lot, and I've been doing a lot of that. <laughs> okay, well, very important question I need to ask you. Yeah. First of all, is have you watched and do you like the movie Ratatouille? So I have watched it. It is not as good. As I think, as people are, people are so obsessed with it. And I'm like, I don't quite get the hype. Like I watched Coco and that was so hyped up and that delivered. I was sobbing. I was out of my body. Like it was, it was wild. I watched Ratatouille on the plane once and I was like, okay, it's not as engaging to me as I thought it would be. But I do know that a lot of professional chefs look at the layout of that kitchen and how that kitchen is run in Ratatouille. And they're like, yeah, that's real. Like that's absolutely like, you know, the verisimilitude of that is, you know, was highly praised by professional chefs. Right. Well, let's be real. There's, (laughs) there's a difference between Ratatouille and Coco, which I also agree is brilliant. Um, Coco and, and Encanto are both musicals. That's true. Uh, there are a few. Oh, well, no. Yes, I guess there's not as many songs in Ratatouille. Like, there's that, like one like Frenchy French song. But then they did the Ratatouille TikTok musical. Did you know about that? Okay. I am not familiar. Okay. So, like, at the turn of 2021, like January 1st, they TikTok actually worked with its content creators to put together this live show of, like, things that were composed by TikTokers in, like, the fall and December and fall and winter of 2020. And then on January 1st, they hired actual theater performers to, to, to sing these songs that TikTok kids made up. Like you have Titus Burgess from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt um, singing as Remy, as Remy the Rat, like the main role, playing like narrator character. Um, so I thought that was a really cool kind of convalescence combination of, you know, creator work and, you know, the institutionalization of it. You know, was there anything lost in that kind of presentation? It was pretty wild and pretty uh, slapdash. So it was a little bit like, 
chaotic and we were just like, what is going yeah. on here? My friends and I watched it on a TV, uh, like connected, like, you know, Apple mirror to, uh, so we like, we made a day of it and we were like, wow, so this is good, but what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm listening to you talk about like, okay, this TikTok uh, iteration of a movie and you watched it on a television and I'm just mm. thinking about the the way that the content has moved mm. in different ways and been redone and you mentioned how you've trained yourself to think of everything as like you're a content creator <laughs> but you said but you said that in in the same uh statement as I don't necessarily want to monetize everything that I'm doing so yeah. what's the difference between content creation then for you and content creation equaling ah. monetization mm. So the, for me, I think there is this kind of primal difference that I've held on to because my first introduction to writing was through fan fiction. And so for me, so not to say that fan fiction is not something that one can capitalize off of. There's certainly a cottage industry of, you know, writers on websites like Archive of Our Own, AO3 for short, you know, these kinds of fan sites where sometimes people do commission fan fiction, you know, like, can you please write fan fiction about this favorite character of mine and my original character who's really sort of like my own avatar in the universe. So that's something I realized happens a lot more frequently. But when I was younger, you know, that was purely done for pleasure because you loved this thing. You loved the world. You were testing out the limits of your imagination. So I recall in around 2015, 2016, 2017, I was already trying to work on my first book in earnest. I was putting together the proposal at the time and trying to get an agent. And sometimes I would hit walls where I would I'd just kind of run out of steam, run out of energy. And to sort of enjoy the act of writing again, you know, I was like, oh, let me dip into this, you know, old fan fiction universe of mine. I was very much a Harry Potter fan fiction kid growing up. And so I revisited some of my characters from the past and to apply sort of the things that I, the writing that I knew now as an adult uh, to that world was really funny because the sort of craft expectations of fan fiction are different from the sort of craft expectations that we would expect of like commercial literature or like literary fiction, you know? All of that to say, there is that part of me that still like wants to do that kind of work of just like, oh, like I'm playing this video game right now. Like I want to write, you know, fic about this. But also at the same time, you know, there's this part of my writing life that is very much public facing and very much a source of additional income um, on top of my nine to five um, at Catapult Magazine where I'm an editor full time. So it's there's still that difference between of how I approach writing and what I do with my writing. Um, but that kind of cultural, critical, analytical commentary brain never stops. And um, I found friends who are just as brain poisoned as me, who will like talk about, you know, who will make meaning over a plate of, you know, carbonara at dinner and be like, you know, did you, did you, how did you, what did you think about the Oscars this weekend? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and I'm like, enough, enough takes. I just, I made you carbonara, like shut up and eat it eat it enjoy <laughs> it, i eat mean it. when you said that i just got hungry so yeah yeah <laughs> sounds good <laughs> you, you it's interesting you said you now you you mentioned public facing versus maybe maybe things that aren't as public facing and i mm -hmm. wonder if there is a, any kind of correlation there between like things that you do for yourself just as a human who lives and then is the public facing stuff is that 
again, I guess I'm getting back to that monetization thing mm-hmm. because I do think it's a it's a epidemic in capitalist society that we think mm-hmm. we're good at something. What can what money can we make from it? Mm-hmm. So is there a division there between like private life and public life? And public is the one you charge for, or you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I for me, one thing that I've learned in my you know short career so far, uh, someone said never. How do they put it? Never do something you're good at for free, which is an interesting piece of advice because it's right. Like, you know, never do, you know, do your best to avoid unpaid labor, you know, particularly as someone who's queer, someone who's a person of color, someone who's an immigrant. I very much feel the pressure of, uh, of what my labor means. Right. Um, at the same time, it's an interesting it's an interesting, again, piece of advice because saying never do something you're good at for free, does that mean you only do the things that you're good at to make money or, you know, to make money, do the things that you're good at? It's an interesting, I keep saying interesting, but I'm fascinated. interesting. (laughs) Yeah. I'm fascinated by what that implies, right? Because can I do something that I'm mediocre at for money? Arguably you could. I would argue uh, a lot of people lot things of people do their mediocre for money. <laughs> exactly. A lot of people do. Um, but then can you just still do things that you're good at for yourself, for free, for not for an audience, not for a client, not for, not in terms of service to anybody else. And I would have to argue that you should, I think. Um, I, I, Try to do my best. I used to think, you know, like any writing that I do has to be, there has to be some kind of product at the end or some kind of advantage, some kind of yield other than on top of the fact that, oh, I wrote today, you know, or like I wrote something that I'm proud of today. I'm trying to let go of that because, I mean, this feels kind of old hat to say, but if you just constantly keep and this is a bad metaphor, but like, if you just keep milking the cow, you know, like ultimately you'll drain it so much of its power of its, um, of you liking the cow won't like you. I don't know. Bad extended metaphor, but <laughs> have you ever milked a cow, Matt? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have not, <laughs> I have not. Um, or maybe I have, I, I know, probably, right? I, you know, like as a kid, you go to like these on all these field trips and like, there was probably a farm in there once. I grew up in the Philippines, so there's probably a farm field trip. But this is something I've brought up with my husband, by the way. And I said, I'm not sure if I have. And he said, Catherine, you would remember if you had milked a cow. I'm like, all right. Um, yeah, that sensation, I, I'm sure is a pretty, you know, would be a core memory. I'm sure. But I, I'm sorry to interrupt your train of thought here because you're talking about like milking the cow for mm-hmm. there always has to be a product with the writing. Um, and so on, you know, following off of that, I'm trying to be mindful now of like doing things that aren't for anybody but myself, you know, whether that's cooking, whether that's, you know, enjoying a really good video game. I'm really into, um, uh, one of the installments of Final Fantasy right now. So Final Fantasy is this big video game series and I'm playing the 14th and it's like, uh, an online, like, 
MMORPG, massively multiplayer online role-playing game. So like you're interacting with this like online community as well. And I'm trying to catch up on 10 years worth of story content. And the way that the creators have described it is that each sort of expansion is a season. So I'm like, oh, I'm starting season three now. It's all very Game of Thrones, high fantasy, but also like cyberpunky. It's just incredibly beautiful storytelling, the way that all these storylines are coming together. And the voice acting is so good. Um, in the first season, they hired a lot of like uh, U.S. talent for the, um, the English localization, but they were doing kind of so-so British accents. But then they got the budget starting season two onward to get like actual British actors. Um, what's his name? Jonathan Bailey from Bridgerton uh, voices a character. Wow. So I'm like, oh, okay. But all that to say, again, I'm you know still so keyed into how writing works, how storytelling works, how acting works, in, even in the things that I you know do for pleasure. And so I'm more and more, I'm trying to find this kind of meeting in the middle with myself about how I can exercise my brain in the way that feels comfortable and natural and right to me, this kind of analytical work and this really deep appreciation of cultural texts. But at the same time, knowing that doing that doesn't mean I have to like, oh, you know, I have to write about this for Gawker or you have to write my catapult column around this, um, which it makes me appreciate the times when we were at school where you know, there was a lot of just like learning for learning's sake, engaging for learning's sake. Um, but that's a whole other rabbit hole that I could go down. But yeah, so there is this difference between like public and private for me. Um, but at the same time, I kind of let everything hang out in public on social media, on Twitter predominantly. So it's the slippage is really, it's really there. It's very real. Right. Well, you're not getting paid for your tweets. Were that I, what is it? Were that I could? I wish I was. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I mean, sometimes tweets lead places. We've all heard of the tweets that turn into essays and et cetera. I wonder if you're thinking about, um, you know, if you're thinking less of, oh, it, it all has to lead to a product. Do you find that as you're training yourself away from that mindset that it, it does it mm. help with the creative process? Because sometimes I, I find people can be blocked sitting down to write and thinking, well, what's the end product going to be? What's the final thing going to look like? And you're like, uh, you need a draft of whatever you want first. I think that's something that's happening with me uh, working on my novel. Um, so I'm now working on a novel in earnest, but I haven't, I've like maybe written one sentence a week this, you know, the past month or so. <laughs> it's hilarious. My, my characters are still in this gondola in Venice. I'm like, they need to get off. Like, this is an expensive boat, boat ride. Um, but I'm so... There are moments where in thinking about this novel and plotting it out and thinking about the structure and the tone and what I want to do with it, you know, those kind of big picture questions about intent, right? I get caught up in the in the machinations and logistics and technicalities of how the sausage is made. Because I work in the field that I do, I work at a magazine owned by a book publisher and having sat in those meeting rooms where they deliberate on, you know, whether it's book proposals or manuscripts uh, and they have the conversations about media and publicity and marketing and sales, having the, all of that insight has been the biggest double-edged sword 
because when I'm thinking about the book, I I should really there's a, a school of thought that says as a writer I should only be thinking about the craft and the art and the work. Um, but at the same time, I'm so concerned about who am I writing for? You know, oh, which house would be really good for this? Or, you know, when would I want this to come out? Or which, what tie-in things would I want to do around publication season once it's finally ready to go out? You know, which book clubs? Like, is this is this literary fiction? Or is it upmarket? Or is it commercial? Is it genre? I get so wrapped up in all of that that it kind of stalls the writing sometimes. And then in the moments where I'm like, let go of all of that, write with the door closed to invoke Stephen King on writing. Um, write with the door closed and just write the book that you want to write without regard for, you know, how will X institution review the book probably what 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 could what could Mushiko Kakutani say about this book you know like what would you know the critics you know think like let go of all of that because you can you will worry about all of that later on but there has to be a book first so you need to write it and get it out of you before you can start to you know think about all the other kind of hullabaloo that goes along with it yeah it's so hullabaloo, hullabaloo. <laughs> bring it back Where Matt. Was that? who was that yeah <laughs> i love it but yeah i mean i'm glad you brought that up because i was i was gonna ask you know as as you're in your work as an editor as editor at catapult magazine i was thinking mm. to myself does this affect how you view things in terms of content and and thinking through in, in your own writing process but i i didn't think about the fact also with the book pub publishing arm of Catapult, how that might also be coming into play in your thoughts as you sit down to the desk. Hullabaloo. It does. It does. All that hullabaloo comes along. And it's interesting. The other side of that double-edged sword is that, oh, now I'm much more aware and I am prepared for those conversations. For, for some folks, those conversations are completely out of the blue and they don't know what to do with it. We, I work a lot with writers who, well, let me say this. Um, when I was, my agent was very funny when we were starting to sell my first book. Like we were deeply engaged with the house that ultimately bought it and published it. Um, bold type books, uh, an imprint at Hachette. It was very funny. We were walking away from a meeting with them and he was like, I'm glad that you were able to speak to the wo the woman who would be your publicist, my amazing publicist, Brooke Parsons. Uh, he was like, yeah, I'm glad you said that you were willing to do interviews and write essays and do all of that work. And I was like, yeah, of course. Do I, do I not? Like, do I have a do choice? Do people not? <laughs> yeah, like... I, I love to do that kind of stuff. Um, I love talking and I love meeting new people and I love talking about art. I was surprised because he said, well, you know, some authors think that once they turn in the book, that's it, that they're done and they don't want to do it. I'm like, that is so weird to me. Yeah. And I said, well, is, well, Ed, is that an age thing? He was like a little bit. Sometimes it can be a generational difference between working authors where, from from what I've gathered and what I've talked to other people about was that, you know, there's a particular set of writers or a particular kind of writer, maybe irrespective of age, that think that the work speaks for itself. Um, and it 
can. Um, but I don't know. I very much am a person who believes that I want to hear from the author directly. And I don't want just, you know, the book to be the only kind of avenue into a conversation or a topic or a story. I'm really interested in a writer's intent, what they want to do with work. I mean, I guess that's maybe also my interest as an editor. So I don't know if um, readers who aren't editors are interested in that as much, but it, it was an interesting, it was an interesting kind of, oh, that people don't think like me all the time. Right. No, it's interesting to get situations <laughs> yeah. that point out to you your assumptions uh, and you realize you have a certain perspective you didn't realize because you're living inside of it all the time. We all have those things, right? Um, totally. But I mean, it's a, it's a good point to think about as a writer who maybe would get a book out into the world. If you think you're done at that point, you're basically saying the publicist at the house, if there is a good publicity team even they're going to translate my intent to everybody. Like it's going to be their voice, their, their pitches to places there. You know, if you've worked that hard on a book, don't you want to have some, I see you nodding vigorously. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I've had also conversations where fellow authors were surprised by how their book was being pitched by publicity at certain, you know, I won't name specifics, but some authors have said, Oh, I don't know that my publicist actually knows what my book is about or that's all I want to do better by those publicists. Like maybe they have, they are deeply engaged with your work, but what they're drawing from it as a reader and as a publicist might be pretty different from what you had intended. And that's kind of just the nature of writing books. Because, like, very often, you know, one thing that we tell ourselves is once the book is made, that's really not yours anymore. That's the world's. And so if you are really concerned about how your book is received by the world, then you will be deeply involved in that process of the marketing and the packaging and the publicizing if you know you what is it uh, a closed mouth doesn't get fed sweetie not the carbonara for sure not the carbonara no <laughs> um so it is really uh, beneficial that you've had this access to knowledge so you can go into it with your own writing with this this uh understanding of the process and kind of may, maybe be one step ahead of the game there but as you said it can be a challenge in certain ways too so i wonder what you do for yourself, do you, I mean, you mentioned the, you mentioned the, the, the video games that you play and, and being around different communities in that way, maybe, but is there a way that you engage Mm -hmm. with writing or with other writers or in writing groups that's outside of the professional part of it just to talk about writing? Is there any other way that you talk around writing that is not the professional aspect of it? I guess not. I was going to say, I have my friends. I have friends who are writers, friends who I've met through work. So there's still that kind of, we t- we're talking about work and career within, under that umbrella of conversation, right? Um, I have friends who are also book authors, authors in different genres as well. I have friends who uh, are Hollywood writers, so TV and film. And so we talk a lot about storytelling in that way but also we turn to each other for a lot of counsel about work like just last night I was on the phone with a friend and you know expressing some of my doubts and insecurities and she said you know it would be such a shame if you know if you just gave up 
because I was like, maybe I should give up. I was pretty, I was in a pretty deep place yesterday. I was like, what if I just let go of everything? Like the, um, the trappings of everything. I'm just like, I'm so disillusioned. And she was like, you can be all of those things. I will say, I love you. I love your work. I think you're so talented and special. It would be a shame if you just like gave up now at Check's watch, 31 years old. Um, I'm not even 31 yet. I'm 30 and a half. Um, and so I think about that too, where it's like, I sometimes get overwhelmed by everything and there's this pressure on, on youth, I think to like, you know, to be 30 under 30, that kind of stuff. The next one is like, what is it? Five under 35. I'm like, okay, I gotta get this book out before I turn 35. You know, it's like those kind of weird pressures. But, um, so to return to the original question of, you know, talking about it outside of work, I don't actually, I think, but I, I, maybe it's that, maybe it's that, maybe I have something a little bit that works better for me personally, wherein the, those kinds of concerns and anxieties, but also joys are shared and discussed with the people that I love most in the world. It's well integrated into the lives that we share and live. So, but at the same time, you know, like brunch with someone is inevitably just going to be a lot about work. So we have to like, you know, I was at brunch on Sunday with a friend I hadn't seen in a very long time just because she's been very COVID conscious. She was finally like, okay, let's go to a patio. I was like, okay, let's, let's go. And, you know, the first hour and a half was all work conversation, you know, our jobs and like how we were feeling about our books. And, um, but then after that, she was like, let's pivot. Are you, are you seeing anyone? Like what else is there? How's your family? That kind of stuff. And then after that, we went to Marshall's and smelled scented candles. So, you know, like I, I think there's a way to, Make it so that those conversations are had by whether it's, you know, high level craft conversations, we're talking about art and also like the underpinnings, the things that make us, you know, feel precious about that work. Um, At the same time, you know, just having those conversations in the same breath as, you know, I saw this guy today, you know, on on the apps and like that kind of stuff. On the apps. Um, (laughs) On the apps. there's such a wide variety of them now that it's like the collective apps. And yeah, so that's kind of how I live my life with it. But I, you know, I'm so curious to hear, you know, about other people's, how people do fit it into their lives in a way that makes sense. Yeah, no, I appreciate you answering in that way as well. There's no one way to, you know, yeah. you get things that you need. There's there's certainly benefit to being with people who can understand the situation that you're in and talking through the professional things and you feel less alone in in that like to be just inside mm. your own head with the professional concerns could be just as bad you know you don't want to do that I, and I mean that's why I have therapy too right. so my therapist is not my 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 therapist is my therapist only in name my therapist is a workshop partner oh interesting <laughs> So wait. Oh, it's just a joke. Oh, but. Oh, oh, sorry. Um. Yeah, you're talking to somebody who doesn't always get a joke when she's super tired after uh, <laughs> a night with her toddlers. Um, oh, for sure. But uh, but just because you said the word workshop, I'm going to keep back to that just for a hot second. I mm, do like please. how you brought it back to this idea of like, yes, we talked about um, uh, 
we talked about professional stuff and then we we went to Marshall's and smelled the candles, you know, to have this balance of public yes. and private in a way in that sense as well. And as you started the conversation with that as well, but just with the idea of workshop, um, do you have a group of writers or friends or anything that you share work with as you're like, you're working on your novel now, who's reading it as you go? Anybody? No one. I, it, which is funny because I want to keep sharing my work with my friends. Like sometimes I'll be really proud of a paragraph that I wrote and I'll drop it in the group chat and no one really deeply engages with it. Just like, it's like a heart, you know, like, but, um, I have friends who are in a writing group. Two of them are in the same writing group and, but it's very screenwriter focused. So like that's their group in LA. Um, with one of them, I said, do you want to just like trade pages every now and then? And she was like, yeah, let's do that. But life gets in the way. So that's not really happening. And I think maybe that's something that I'm missing right now. I need that accountability partner. I need that kind of encouragement. I noticed that I was doing a huge amount of work whenever I was taking classes um, I take classes at Catapult as well, um, and I'm about to teach one um, this year and start doing a series of them. Um, but I noticed that when I was writing for class, I actually would get stuff out, um, which is really nice. But I, I want something maybe that I don't have to pay for. <laughs> right. I mean, look, there is something about paying for it where you're more yeah. likely <laughs> to do it. Well, knock on wood, right? right. Yeah. I mean, well, that's, it's, it's, it's great to hear that your connection with Catapult is not only as editor and you're in meetings and you're even going to be teaching these classes, but that you also take the classes. That's very It's cool. great. It's a great, it's a cool, re I mean, we get a nice discount, which helps, um, but it's been a, such a cool resource and, you know, we, get, we acquire work from students as well, you know, folks, or, or we acquire work from teachers, or some of our, our writers end up taking classes, or some of our uh, authors end up teaching courses. So it's this very secular, kind of the snake eating its own tail kind of moment, or a boros. Um, but so for me personally, I, 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 I very much come into the realization of like, there's this huge resource that I have, you know, that's like the wind beneath my wings. I should really take advantage of it as much as I can. Um, and I've actually met, made great friends through taking classes. Um, for example, I think I was telling you this story um, when we first met. Uh, I met Kyle Lucia Wu, the author of Win Me Something Up from Tin House. Kyle had a book party at the resort, and I was invited to that because we ended up uh, working together on a piece for Catapult. She wrote an essay for me that I edited and published tied to her pub day. And we made that happen because I took a class with her and that's how we met. She was my instructor. Um, and so it was very cool to engage with a talent like Kyle as her student, as her editor, and now as like a peer and friend. So that's one way that I really find community um here in new york and in my working life then again kyle i don't know where kyle is right now but i know <laughs> we were in new york um at the time and it's interesting because 
ostensibly that was a work that was a careerist kind of situation context but I have found great friendships now and like, you know, connections of varying kinds in this literary world. You and I are talking right now, Catherine. And it's like, it's been very lovely. Great to see you at Tanais's um, book party. And it's been, it's not felt, what's the word? Awkward or forced to me. Like it feels very organic. It feels very natural to be in this space, to to be going to a book reading, you know, to kind of be thinking about the work. Oh, that writer who did a reading, I would love to have her write an essay for Catapult. But at the same time, be there with friends, have drinks, like, you know, talk about whatever else beyond work and writing and books. So it's, I'm very much proponent of this kind of integration, I think, in in life the, the 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 boundaries sometimes when they are there do tend to be a little bit slipperier and when you need the boundary i think it takes it requires a lot more enforcing um but it's what's worked for me so far and but it is something that i'm you know revisiting every now and then is it still working for me so i love that that's the dream right to it's your work and your uh, pleasurable aspects of your life integrated into one. It's it's work as something yeah. that you really want to be doing. Like work doesn't have to feel like horrible. <laughs> it's really nice. It's really I nice. when I really stop to think about it, I'm like, oh, I'm doing what I said I wanted to do as a kid. And you, know? you have oh. so many more years ahead, <laughs> way beyond five under thirty five. Uh, let me tell yeah. you. Um, and I thank you for sharing that as we come to the end of our, our time here together on Cabana Chats, this community that has built for you around your professional life, around literary life, and even that relationship with Kyle, I mean, that was online, you know, initially, yeah. right? So absolutely. even during this time when a lot of us haven't been able to see each other in person, there's been an amazing opportunity to connect in this way. Um, so... Well, as we close out, I do ask, I like to ask a final question sometimes, which is just as we move forward into the coming weeks, it's we're entering spring here in New York as we record this. What are you going to be doing to take care of yourself and your community as we move forward into the coming months? I have to go to, on a work trip to Los Angeles next week. I have to start packing, but it's for Catapult. It's this conference thing that we're doing. And also I'll be traveling on Wednesday, working Thursday and Friday. And then it's presumed that, okay, you're free to go, go back to where you come from. <laughs> that, that sounds weird. <laughs> um, go back to New York, go back to wherever you, you know, you live. And I said, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay for the weekend. I have people here in LA. Um, is it okay if I book my flight out on Monday? They were like, yeah, it's lost. It's the same price. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm staying at a friend's. And one of my very best friends, like the, the, the two people that I mentioned who um, are in a writing group. Um, and one of them said, oh, so you're going to be here for L.A. Great. Um, what do you want to do? Do you want to go to like a nice restaurant? Like, do you want to go to Pump? Like, just for fun? Or like, do you want to go back to Nobu? Like, for your birthday, we went. You want to go to Universal again? Hit the places that we didn't see. I was like, honestly, can I just... You have a new house. You have a beautiful new kitchen. Can I just like cook for you guys? She was like, oh my God, yes. 
That's so nice. Um, so I'll be cooking dinner next Saturday for my friends. So I have to plan that menu. But it's for me that is so special because that's something that I do a lot here in New York. I'm very grateful to have the space to like entertain um, small groups. And for this, I just these are two of my best friends who I haven't seen since. Uh, I was there in September, so in six months now. So I, I just want to like prepare them a meal and sit around this beautiful new round table that she has and just like talk and catch up. And, you know, we talk frequently over text and FaceTime, but it's still not to sort of privilege the corporeal over the virtual, but it, there's still something really nice about feeling someone's energy when they're right next to you and like holding their hand, you know? Totally. So I'm excited. That's something that I'm doing to care for myself and my community um, as we move into the spring. I love that. That sounds so lovely. And yeah. <laughs> and when your latest book does come out to the world now, I'm expecting lots of good food around its release. And as it is introduced to the greater public, thank you so much for the conversation. It was fun. Thank you. Yeah, no, I love doing stuff like this. I, and I love talking to you. And that, dear friends, brings us to the end of this episode of Cabana Chats. You can find out more about Matt Ortile at mattortile.com. That's M-A-T-T-O-R-T-I-L-E dot com. If you are not yet in our Cabana Club membership program for writers here at the resort, be sure to join so that you can check out our Club AMA with Matt Ortile, which will be live on May 5th and also recorded for our club archives, along with dozens of other club exclusive events and classes. You can always find out more about the resort at theresortlic.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to consider subscribing and leaving a five-star rating and review. It helps more writers find the cabana and all of our great conversations here. Thank you. Our podcast editor is Jade Isiri Ramos, and our music is by Pat Irwin. Special thanks to resort assistant Nadine Santoro. I'm your host, Catherine Lasota, and I'll see you next time in the cabana.